so glad Manny's dead right now. Can't trust anyone around here. Hey everybody, it's your GM Alex here, welcoming you back to another Friday Tuesday Gaming. We've got some big news this week. We have officially started our very own Patreon page. That's right, now you can pay us to continue to do the same thing you've been listening to us do for free. Value! We're very excited about it, and right now it's a pretty basic setup, but we're working on setting up a, a tier system. And we'll, we're going to figure out some cool ways to give back to anybody who actually finds value in what we're doing here. So if you're so inclined, uh, you can go over to patreon.com slash Swiss Army Scorpion and you can give us money, please. Yeah. And are we still selling Tom? Because I think I put that on the table. One of the tiers might just be Tom. <laughs> God. It's just for the weekend, though. For the low, low price of $50 a month, you could have Tom. <laughs> Just bring him back here for, for Mondays to record for Tuesday Game. Make sure you feed him his kibble. If any of you have any good ideas for Patreon tiers, we'd be happy to steal them from you. Any time we can spend not being creative for you to give us money is better time spent for us. Also, another great thing that happened, we now have a Discord server. If you are interested in going to our Discord server, you can go to our website, and we should have a little link set up for you there. Or you can just Google Swiss Army Scorpion Discord. I'm sure you'll find it. But that's enough talking for me. Please enjoy episode 55, Old Friends in Old Places. Fucking pancakes! Welcome back to Tuesday Gaming. We are Swiss Army Scorpion. Yeah. Pancakes. Okay. So, we're going to start with a little something. Here we go. It's a chilly morning in Port Peril. A thin shell of frost still clings to the tin roof of a small house from the night before. Though the busy streets never sleep in the city, they're at their quietest at this hour of the morning. As the morning sun first peeks out from the horizon, a man approaches the small house with the frosty tin roof. With a small package cradled under his arm, he knocks loudly on the front door. A few moments pass, and the door slowly swings open. The eye-patched face and gracefully messy blonde hair of Pierce Jarrell appears from the other side. Pierce glances down at the package. Thank you for bringing it here so promptly. Ugh, the man grunts in response. He hands Pierce the package and is in turn handed a large sack of coins. Ugh, the man grunts more, more cheerfully. Pierce shuts the door and locks it from the inside. After taking a short breath, he turns on the spot and leaves the foyer. He navigates through his house until he reaches a hidden entrance to another room. He opens it with the package cradled under his arm. All right, Cheryl, I'll make you a deal. The scene ends, and we return to the day before, where Devoth and Captain Walram Cork Roxalt are having a private discussion in the captain's quarters of the Mascador, and Devoth had just uttered the word, Incutilis. Scram, make a will save. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Out of the gates! <laughs> I'm just, like, aren't I still peeking in through? Shut the... up, make a will save. Oh, okay. <laughs> Nine. No. Moving on. <laughs> Captain Cork kind of shrugs. So that's what they're called. Hey, it's a name I won't soon be forgetting. Twice now we've had our our fair share of run-ins with them. They're slippery bastards. Um. Well. It makes you uniquely qualified to answer some questions that I have. Can you tell me where you've encountered these things before? All right, well, uh, the first one we came across was at Rickety Squibs. 
it was uh, only a day or two before you got there, but uh, my former first mate killed that one before it could escape. And we ran into another one in Blood Cove. The uh, the kid who's the cabin boy now, I guess it uh, it uh, took his his father. And well, they they don't do pleasant things to people. I'll, just, I'll leave it at that for the moment. Well, I do know that much. Where in these settlements did you encounter them? Was it in a structure? Was it near water? Was it at a certain elevation? I mean, it was in both places. Well. In rickety squibs, it actually came right up on, uh, came right up onto the ship, and uh, took control of my quartermaster at the time, and and took him into some cave just a little bit upriver. That's where we found it and killed it. Um, the one in Blood Cove had taken over this kid, this kid's dad, and and was still living in the guy's house, but it seemed like it like busted a hole in the floor to get to the water. Hmm. Okay. Do they seem intelligent at all? I wouldn't call them geniuses or anything, but they they seem to possess some crude sense of intelligence and enough to communicate vaguely through their host bodies. Do they seem to have any sort of motives? Uh, it seemed like the two that we came across were just kind of like collecting stuff. Like the one at Rickety Squibs had a little cave with a little tiny treasure hoard in it and... The kid's dad, the one that it took it, seemed to be collecting, like, some jewels and it had piled up some furniture. Hmm. Do they have any other sort of abilities besides the obvious? Not that I recall. They're just the, uh, yeah, they take over people and they're damn quick if you let them get into water on their own. If you can, keep them on land. Okay. I think this this could help. Well, thank you. Uh, I can probably handle it from here. Hey, if you want any help dealing with it, you know where to find me. I've got a few more days of sitting around, so a little action might might be nice. Well, better you than my crew, I guess, not to uh, be too blunt about it, uh, he says with a ironic grin. He reaches into his bag and he pulls out a bunch of maps. From what you can tell, uh, they all seem to be, it, it seems to be like some sort of Port Peril atlas. Uh, like one is like a big map of the whole city, and then other maps look like they're part of smaller areas of the city. And about half of them, and this is like a pretty fat stack of maps, about half of them are for caves. Okay. He kind of looks at them for a little while, and he says, uh, have you ever heard of the Blood Pools? Uh, 14 Knowledge Local. You have heard of them. Uh, You know that Port Peril sits on top of a very complex cave cave network called the knotworks some of them are used as like giant warehouses some of them are used by merchants uh some people live in them by and large they're like if you if you go off the the beaten path they're pretty much abandoned save for lots of lurking monsters and even if you're in a traveled portion of the knotworks it's not guaranteed safety it's rumored that some of the not worked even go down to the Darklands. The Blood Pools are a, an area of the not works that are supposedly partially submerged and are said to come out somewhere east of Port Peril. Uh, you don't really know anything else about them, though. Yeah, the Blood Pools, that's uh, part of that underground 
cave network under the city that uh, that empties out somewhere, right? Yeah. I don't personally know where they start, but it wouldn't be super hard to find someone who does. I encountered this thing in the networks. If you're saying that these things are always near water, that's probably a good start. Here, if you don't mind, he like kind of like holds a hand up like around your head so this might just help catch you up on what I've learned so far. I'm a little wary, but all right. He places his hand on your head and casts a spell. You feel a pleasant, cool breeze on your skin, contrasting with the usual sticky, hot air of the shackles. It's dark, but your eyes quickly adjust, assisted by the lanterns mounted on the stone wall every 50 feet or so. You're inside a cave, but you're not alone. Dozens of other people, most of whom are dressed like pirates, are milling about the cave. Some are standing behind tables, hawking wares. The multitude of voices in this subterranean marketplace echo off the stone walls, disorienting you slightly. Time seems to speed up and slow down as you move about the cave, kind of like someone switching through normal speed and fast-forward on a videotape. One thing that becomes very clear is how elaborate this cave system is. Many junctions you reach include pitch-black tunnels with no torches, and for each new tunnel you enter, you pass three or four more, all with torches hanging on the wall, crawling with milling pirates and merchants. During a period of normal time passage, a pirate you only vaguely recognize from Captain Cork's crew, who you somehow now know is named Dario, is speaking to you, and you can hear Captain Cork's voice responding, as if you were the dwarf captain. You send Dario off into a side tunnel to look for an embroidered cloth, and time speeds up again as you continue on to a merchant who's selling some very gaudy pirate hooks. An image of Gare, the sour hobgoblin, wearing a bedazzled hook on his wrist enters your head, <laughs> followed by a humorous sentiment, and then quickly replaced with feelings of pity and guilt. Time speeds up again as you peruse the caves and their many, many shops. Some time passes, though with the speeding up and slowing down you can't be sure how much, though you could venture to guess about an hour. The thought of meeting up with Dario enters your head, and time speeds up as you wind through the labyrinth of rock and shops. You arrive at the agreed-upon meeting spot, but Dario is nowhere to be found. After waiting for a bit, growing more and more angry, you begin to get concerned. You start to idly poke around the area to distract your thoughts. Soon after, your hand brushes over a portion of the rock wall, slick with something cold and wet. You realize that you've just rubbed your hand over a blood-covered section of wall. Real concern fills you, and you immediately begin casting a spell. Psychic impressions of past events are revealed to you. Visual memories of the universe play back as moving pictures on the walls. Noises that now lay dormant in the silence flare back to life, and the scars of past pain and struggle are torn back open. You see Dario waiting obediently in the spot you now stand. From your vantage point, you can see something he does not. A humanoid figure shambles out from an unlit tunnel next to where he stands. As it enters the dim lighting, you can see what must be... A human zombie, except a strange squid-like creature, is perched on its head. Its tentacles have worked their way inside the human's body, and can be seen coiling in and out along the arms and legs of the corpse. As suspicion crosses Dario's face, hearing the soft shuffling behind him, the zombie raises its arm and brings down a mace, hard on the pirate's head. Blood splatters the cave wall next to him, as Dario falls face first onto the damp cave floor. Though this part of the cave has less traffic than others, the zombie still makes haste in dragging Dario's body, back into the darkness of the unlit tunnel. You end the spell with gritted teeth. Responsibility for Dario's fate fills you as you enter the unlit tunnel, guided by your dwarven dark vision. When you eventually reach more tunnels branching off the one you're on, you cast the same spell, again peering back through time, 
and marking the creature's progress via the psychic imprints left by Dario, the creature, and even the rocks themselves. You're able to stay on the creature's trail for a while using this tactic, but you know you can only use this spell so many times, and you eventually run out, leaving yourself stra standing in the darkness, a feeling of failure lingering in the pit of your stomach, as you fathom the cave's complexity and humbly acknowledge the real possibility that you could still have several miles of branching tunnels to go before you might catch up. Continuing tomorrow with this tactic would be a fool's errand. And the spell Captain Cork cast on you ends. And he says, So I knew what the creature looked like. That was about it. Devoth just kind of like takes a second to gather his thoughts, like shakes his head, like almost like shakes his whole body a little bit. Like, well, oh, okay. Yeah, that was, that was definitely an incutilis. I'm not exactly holding out hope that Dario's still alive. I'm sorry to inform you, he's most definitely dead. They don't leave survivors. Well, I'm still going to go find them, and even even if there's no chance that he's still alive, I'm settling the score. I just want you to know what you're getting yourself into. The Knotworks aren't a friendly place, especially when you go bumbling around where you've never been before. I, uh, I've heard that, but... Uh... If you have a vested interest in these things, maybe you can be useful. Uh, they're, they have definitely made an enemy of, uh, of old Devoth and his crew. But, uh, yeah, just about anything's got to be sitting here while this damn quarantine ticks by. Well, happy to help. And he uh, bows his head slightly. And he says, uh, I've got some contacts. I'll get directions to the Bloodworks. And uh, I'll meet you over in Merchant's Marina tomorrow morning. I assume I know where that is. It's, uh, it's like the... Basically where you're going to take your plunder after the quarantine is over. It's on the other side of the of the lagoon okay. on the mainland. Okay, and we can enter Port Peril, like the city itself. We just can't take the ship there yet until the quarantine's done. Correct. Okay. All right, well, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get the ferry over there, and yeah, we'll meet you. Okay. I'll see you then, Devoth. And he leaves the captain's cabin and immediately bumps into Scram. I, I was just leaving. You were just spying, I would uh, care to venture. He says with a, a smile. I assume I'll be seeing you tomorrow morning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you around, Scram. And he walks off. Okay. So who else is on the ship? I know, I know. obviously Cheryl's busy, but what are Tuck Tuck and the Hood up to? We're probably hanging out at the ship. Yeah, the ship is still actually pretty like brand new to us. Okay. And I would have spent uh, the last couple of days going out and partying and stuff. Like when I oh, yeah. Like when I followed Cheryl. Okay, so uh, so what are we doing? Uh, I believe Scram was on his way to the Mystic Redoubt. Devoth is probably going to round up his party for tomorrow. After Cork leaves, I'll obviously I'll see Scram there and let him know that like, don't be out too late. We're we got stuff to do tomorrow. Uh, same thing with Tuck Tuck. If I see him like coming back to the boat and the hood, if he's just hanging out, I would. Give him that. And then I just start looking around. I'm like, where the hell's the Cheryl? Where, where the hell did he go? Um, I uh, saw Cheryl at a bar recently. He was at the Riptide Ale House. We might want to go pick him up. Oh, I'll let them have his fun. Just uh, if you happen to see him before I do, just give him the heads up that uh, we've got stuff to do tomorrow morning. All right. Excuse me, Captain. Oh, uh, yeah. Hey, Hood, I didn't see you there. I'm... Um I'm sorry to bother you. I would have asked Cheryl, but could you possibly... You see, my chain shirt here, we got off a slaver, and it has a neat little magic ability to store spell. And I was hoping you could maybe give me one of your heal spells before you go to bed. 
please. Yeah. Oh, all right. That. Uh, if it's less I gotta deal with you after this, then sure. And I'll cast Cure Moderate into the armor. Mm, thank you kindly, Captain. At what point would we get alarmed that Cheryl isn't there? Probably in the morning. Yeah. There's not. Yeah. We don't have a curfew to be back at the boat by a certain point. I don't think Devoth would assign a curfew. And I mean, you guys have just been in Port Peril for like the last week, and the crew has just kind of been all over the place. Yeah, I'm sure plenty of them have been out drinking all night and oh, eventually yeah. just show up the next day at one point or another. So it probably wouldn't even occur to anybody. Maybe something happened to Cheryl until he wasn't there the next morning. Uh, so originally Scram's, uh, Scram's reasoning for even like seeing Captain Cork in the first place was I just got the scroll done and he's heading over to the library with a 500 gold piece, Mm -hmm. uh, scroll. So Scram heads out to the Mystics Redoubt. On your way, you see a bipedal humanoid, but it is... The bottom half of a goat and the top half of a man. Can I do a knowledge check on that? Knowledge nature. That's 11. It's a satyr. Okay. He's got like a stack of like pamphlets under one arm and he's holding out a pamphlet with the other. Kind of like looks like he's like handing out pamphlets to people and he sees you and he says, oh, hey, come on over here. Have you ever heard of the Shackles Regatta? Are you on a pirate ship? You look like a pirate. Uh, I am? Come on over here. What's your name? Scram. Hey, Scram. My name's Mater. Mater the Seder. It's super easy to remember. <laughs> Tell me, are you, are you, are you a sailor here in Port Peril? You don't, I don't recognize you. Are you from around here? Uh, oh, my captain just got the letter of mark for a free captain. Oh, congratulations, Scram. That's great. That's great news. Hey, he he hands you a pamphlet. He says, you might want to tell your captain to keep his eyes open for that there regatta coming up. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a hoot of fun. Uh, all, the, all the greatest captains can be in the regatta. It's a nautical race. And, oh, woo, is, is it dangerous? But yeah, the winner, it's a huge reward. Winner can get their own island, and they can also get put on the council, the pirate council in Port Peril. So it's dangerous, but the rewards are great. You might want to keep your, your ears peeled for when it's coming up. It's pretty soon. Uh, what dangers exactly? Well, it's a, it's a nautical race with pirates. Anything could happen. But more times than not, it takes place pretty close to that there Eye of Abendago. It gets pretty rough waters up there. You didn't hear from me, but I hear that this year it's a... Pretty, it's it's actually going to be an open race. You see, the Master of Gales, he's won the regatta the last seven years in a row, but this time he's officiating the race, so anybody could win. Even you, Scram. I plan on it. Well, that's good. Spread the word. Tell them you heard it from Mater the Seder. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome, Scram. Have a nice day. I like that guy. Uh, <laughs> and I uh, actually kind of give like a quick up and down like look like, this is... This is rare. <laughs> like the like this is a rare yeah. look, like you're not at kind of situation. He, he says, Oh, are you admiring my hooves? Yeah, I'm a I'm a satyr, as, as I said, and satyr's a part goat part man. You can tell by, by my by my furry legs and my, my clickety hooves, and he kinda like clicks around for a little bit. Uh how where did you come from exactly? Oh, that there's a that's a ten dollar question there, Scram. Where did any of us come from? That's what I wanna know. Okay. 
Boss Grand, come back now. I, I won't. Uh, if you don't come back here, I'll come find you. <laughs> Please don't. You're like two blocks away, and he's just like, Boss Grand, I'll see you later. We need to recruit Mater the Seder to be on our crew. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's got potential. <laughs> so you make it to the Mystics for Doubt. Oh, my God. You offer the scroll of Summon Monster 3, and it is accepted, and you have a year-long, excuse me, Summon Monster 4, uh, and it is accepted, and you now have a year-long membership with the Mystics for Doubt. Uh, You can get rare magical components here. There's a vast library of information that you can use to study. Are you going to do any of that today, or are you just showing up to pay your fee and then go home? Well, since I just ran into my second dad, I'm going to immediately get on the task of studying up on Incutilises. Give me a knowledge dungeoneering check. 26. Incutilis. I don't even want to assume I know what the plural is for that. Last time I was hasty in accepting the plural of a monster, I immediately regretted it. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep it open for now. Nice. Grindy Lie was a perfectly acceptable pluralization. Sure it was. So you read up on the monsters known as Incutilis. You know that they are typically found very deep in the ocean. They originate from what is known as the Sightless Sea. That is a an ocean, one of the biggest oceans in Galarian, but it is completely underground. It is actually located in the Darklands. That keeps cropping up. It's just like this pitch black sea. It's like it's got like a few land masses here and there, but by and large it's like it's it's pretty mysterious. There's not a lot of information on the Sightless Sea or the Darklands in general. Uh, you just know that they're very mysterious creatures with agendas that can span millennia. They seem to have some sort of identifiable uh, hierarchy. You might only ever come across one at a time or ever, but they're kind of like pen pals with each other, kind of. Like they're all part of one collective almost. They're not a hive mind, but... They seem to have some connection between each other. Yeah, there's some sort of unity that that seems to to bind them in their actions. It's not unheard of for them to come to the surface, but they usually need a very, very good reason to. They've been known to affiliate with the ancient aberrations called aboliths, which you read about. They are giant fish with tentacles that predate even the gods, pretty much. They're as ancient as ancient gets. Are uh, they still in existence? Aboliths, yes, they are. Oh, okay. They're on the decline. Their their time ruling Galarian has long passed, but they are still very formidable uh, if you were to come across them. Though, like Incutilis, uh, don't come to the surface or near very often. Uh, but when they do, they usually have a very good reason. Can I also look specifically for, like... Maybe a reversal of the Incutilis effect? Like a cure for if they zombify somebody? Yeah. Uh, Raise dead. Or uh, greater resurrection. Yeah, yeah, resurrection. I wasn't sure if there was like a way like after they're like still. No. The getting tentacles and chemicals uh, injected into your brain is death. 
So you're you're kind of spooling through all this information, and you feel a sharp poke on your shoulder. I turn around. You see Peppery Longfarthing. My God. <laughs> she. You turn around. My she kind of like. She kind of like jumps. She says, "I jump. I jump." Says, tuck, tuck, get out of here! You didn't pay your fee. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Oh wait! I thought I thought everybody on the ship had to act, or is it just me? It's just, just you. you. Oh, you shit. paid for your so own I, personal. I can't die. <laughs> what? <laughs> I paid for it. I gotta live through this at the very least. <laughs> okay. Okay. There are better reasons to live, but whatever, <laughs> no, whatever, whatever motivates you. <laughs> so Peppery jumps, and you jump, and she says, "Holy shit! It is you! Holy shit! It's you! Oh, what are what are you doing here?" I'm a sorceress. I'm doing my duty in the Mystic Redoubt. You mean in Port Peril? Yeah. I'm a pirate. We all come to Port Peril. That means that where's uh, Barnabas? Uh, he's probably on the Wormwood, shutting himself in like he always does, which is, you know, docked somewhere around here. I'm not telling you. What happened? Last I saw you, you were on the Man's Promise going back to Port Peril. You should have seen the look on Captain Barnabas's face when we got back. Uh, well, Captain Plug ended up having plans of his own. He wanted to be captain of the ship, so he was originally going to squib it. Uh, he and a few others, uh, died at sea. Uh, and, you know. She kind of narrows her eyes when you say they died at sea. I mean, he's not lying. <laughs> <laughs> She uh, says, uh, and you just accidentally didn't bring the ship back to Port Peril? We didn't know. We weren't part of the plans originally. So after days of waiting, we ended up leaving. She says, all right, well, I'll be perfectly honest. I don't think any reason exists that would uh, get you off the hook with Captain Harrigan. I'm going to pretend I didn't see you here. Uh, well, I'm with a free captain now. Who's your captain? Oh, is Barnabas going to lose his shit when he hears the name of your captain? Probably. She's got that like manic, like posing for a picture, like in front of like a like a lion. Like take the picture already, so I can like <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Like look on her face. She's like, okay, um, well, Pe- peppery, peppery. Yes, yeah, Scram. What is it? Before you go, you told me something on the ship. You said never to return, and I didn't. I'm here on this ship with Captain. If you wish to escape as well, you have a place on our boat. Did I say that? She says, look, if I if I got white girl wasted uh, the night after we took the man's promise and <laughs> blabbed a bunch of stuff to you, I don't know how much stock you should take into it. Barnabas has a temper, but he's not a bad person. I know him personally, but look... Like I said, for the sake of our friendship, I'll pretend I didn't see you here, but who knows, maybe I'll see you around someday. Please be safe. And you as well, Scram. And she kind of like speed walks away. (laughs) As soon as she's out of sight, Scram speed walks like out the door uh, towards the Mascador. Trying, actually, can I roll stealth? Okay. Eleven. Hey, Scram, why are you walking like that? <laughs> you going back to tell your captain about the shackles regatta? Yeah, Cedar. 
Mater. Mater. The name's Mater. Mater the Seder. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot on my mind. I gotta go. I'm shocked you got my name wrong. Where are you going, Scram? Get I'm back here. Going. <laughs> He's going. All right, bye, Scram. Have a nice day now. Don't forget you heard from Mater the Seder. Meanwhile, back at the Vascador. Devoth, you hear a knock on the captain's cabin, assuming you're in there. Uh, I need to get the secretary. <laughs> He's at the Mystics Redoubt. <laughs> I get up and go open the door. It is Jack Scrimshaw. Yes, what is it, Jack? He says, I have a message for you. Okay. He hands you a piece of paper. I take the paper and close the door. <laughs> you, you hear some general passive aggressiveness on the other side of the door. <laughs> you look at the message and it just says, I took something of yours. If you want it back, come to the mermaid's bucket in five minutes. Come alone. The message isn't signed. I... Why is everybody stealing from me? <laughs> I walk out he on... He on his stolen ship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Can't trust anyone around here. All right. I take that. I bust out on deck. I burst out, and I just start... Just calling out orders like, uh, Lemon, the ship is yours for a little bit. Tuck, tuck, hood. Come on. Yes, Captain. What are we doing? Right now, you're coming with me. Keep an eye out for trouble. And we head to the mermaid's bucket. Okay. Nothing seems to really seem out of place when you get there. What do you do? I'll go up to the bar. Okay. Yes. I'm really... Almost hoping this is just a wild goose chase at this point, but uh, that someone happens to leave a message for a Devoth song cleaver here. No. Appreciate it. At that point, you feel something sharp sticking into your back, and you hear a voice in your ear, and it says, Well, well, well. It sounds very familiar. It sounds very <laughs> familiar. Do I recognize it? Or do the hood or tuk-tuk see a guy yeah. with a singing a knife How did in my he back? get right past us? This person was just kind of like walking... Like walking by, like they didn't—they weren't like beelining for Devoth, but then they suddenly like pivoted on the spot, and you don't see a knife or anything. They're like pressed right against Devoth, and you hear them say, "Well, well, well." You look over, and it is a female half orc. She says, "I didn't think I'd see you back in Port Peril, Devoth." I almost like ignore the knife in my back and just turn around. Like, is that who I think it is? <laughs> Oh my god. Well, if you think it's your old friend Cutthroat Grok, then yes. Grok! How long have you been here? I almost I move in to like, give her a hug. She returns it. She says, says, well, we've been here a little more than a week, so it's about time uh, we got going. And just out of sheer luck, I saw you walk in the streets. You didn't think I wouldn't recognize you underneath that mask. Ah, well, you've seen enough of me to know, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I peer around like the croc and look at Tuck Tuck with the most confused look on my face. <laughs> she says, I hope my message didn't stress you out too much, but if anyone saw me going on your ship, I'd probably get keel hauled. Well, you could always come on my ship permanently. She says, I don't know if I don't know if we're there yet, Devoth. Maybe someday. Well so come, let me get you a drink. Let's catch up for a little bit. You got it. Uh I order four drinks. I turned to the hood and tuck tuck. Did you guys want anything? If you're oh, buying. Yeah. I perk up. I could fill. I start to rub my stomach. I pull up a on a stool a next to you. <laughs> and I imagine, like, 
Tuck Tuck was in a bar like an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Almost, yeah. Hey, you know what they <laughs> say. It's only a that. problem if you drink alone. I'll buy a round for, for the four of us, and mm-hmm. I'll tell Tuck Tuck in the hood to kind of like grab a table nearby, keep an eye out, but I make it clear I'm looking for a little privacy. Okay. May I propose a toast to the newest free captain in the shackles? Grok raises her, her mug, and she uh, she looks at you uh, mildly surprised. She says, how the fuck did you become a free captain in three months? <laughs> Hood's a good wig man. I just give her a wink, like, I'm that good, baby. <laughs> well, maybe you can remind me later, but uh, the Wormwood's leaving tomorrow morning, so, you know. So... We can role play this if you want, but otherwise it's probably going to be a pretty similar conversation to uh, Peppery's with uh, Scrams. Yeah, just a little more flirty. Yeah. Uh, so you and you and Grok just kind of shoot the shit for a while. Uh, she's definitely more comfortable with the situation than Peppery was with uh, Scram. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually she asks if you want to like get out of here, and you guys can go find like a just get a room like a upstairs. Hostel. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine at one point Scram comes back to the Mascador, like, <laughs> like arms just like flapping in the wind <laughs> in his mad sprint, just screaming at the top of his lungs, Devoth! just screaming the name of the man Harrigan is looking for. <laughs> oh my god! No, you get you get back to the Mascador and you don't find Captain Devoth. Uh, yeah, I. You also for- don't find Tuck Tuck or the Hood. Or Cheryl. I, I find the officer You're, who's on duty right now. Lemon's there. Yeah, Lemon. I left Lemon in charge. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are they? Where are they? Who? The captain. The captain. Lemon shrugs. He says he went out. Why? What do you need? You wouldn't understand, Lemon, but uh, there was an old captain, and I kind of, like, go through the past three months, like, <laughs> as brief Lemon as take, possible. Lemon takes up a chair. And no, 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 like, as brief as, but, like, footnotes, like, probably half words at that point, just, like, okay. Lemon's like, you're right, I don't understand. Him. I mean, Lemon was there for almost all of it. Was No, was, yeah, no. I mean, you didn't meet him until Rickety Squibs. Yeah. Right, so we had had the ship for, like, a week before we yeah. met Lemon. The only thing Lemon wasn't there for was us physically taking the ship. Oh, okay. He's been there yeah. for everything else. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Well, I mean, I get up to that point, like. Slow down, God. Scram. Uh, just kind of shaking him at this point. Where is Devoth? I need Devoth. He says, I don't know, and let me go, or else I'm going to stab you. He he clearly knows nothing. I I kind of sit on the deck. I have no, like, I sit right in the center of the deck, like, trying to think in my head, like, okay, where? Where could he possibly be? Oh, I knock on his door. I knock on Captain's door. Nobody answers. I go in. Oh, it's locked. <laughs> Devoth, <laughs> like just, I'm sitting there, like until you come back, like probably bloody knuckles. It's gonna okay. be a while. So Scram is hy- hyperventilating on the Mascador. Devoth is busy uh, with Grok. Uh, Tuck Tuck and the Hood. You guys hang out for a while after uh, Devoth sees himself out, or do you go back to the Mascador? We'd pro- I'd probably have a couple of drinks. Yeah, I'd I'd stay with the Hood. Can I roll a perception check? Just to, I don't know, anything cool around? Or see what's going on in the bar. <laughs> I didn't roll really well. Rolled a goddamn okay. two. Well, 12 total. You don't really see anything that interesting. It's uh, 
it's Wednesday night at the mer- the mermaid's bucket. I mean, I guess eventually Tuck Tuck and the Hood return to the Mascador, like probably like an hour or two later. I'm like still screaming, like it's I'm, kind of like a gasping, like Devoth. Yeah, I think eventually, like more Devoth. people would come over to you, like more me- more members of the Mascador crew, and be like, "Scram, what?" Would anybody know? Uh, on the Mascador at this point, would anybody know about the worm? I mean, outside of Lemon, yeah, there's still a few. Uh, veterans from the the Wormwood, uh, Jack Scrimshaw. Uh, I think Tilly Brackett's still on the crew. Uh, it's uh, Badger Medlar. It's Badger Croup, uh, Gifford Tibbs, Jack Scrimshaw, and Ratline. Okay. Then I find Jack Scrimshaw first. Wormwood in port. Where's the Voth? You tell Jack Scrimshaw, and he's like, what? And he runs over to the captain's cabin, and he starts banging on the door. <laughs> Devoth! Devoth! <laughs> and you realize how stupid you looked. No, I go and enjoy him. <laughs> oh, my God. We'll just cut to, we'll just fade away to the, uh, from that scene. So Tuck Tuck in the hood, come back to the maskador, and, like, there's like a half dozen people wailing on the captain's cabin. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. If I if I see those like anybody who starts coming onto the ship like I ask like have you seen Devoth? Uh Tuck Tuck in the hood you are asked this question. Yeah. He took off about an hour and a half ago with some pretty butch looking half orc lady. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Scram's eyes like widen like where is he? We got a drink with him there, but I assume they went to find the closest room for sale. I run over as quick as possible. Uh, I just bypass that completely. You're left with the 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 ten hysterical people <laughs> that Scram left. I ask any of them if they know what that was about. Say, no, but I need to see Devoth as soon as possible. <laughs> Scram, you get to the mermaid's bucket. I heard they got a room somewhere there. So I go upstairs. Okay. And I knock I... on every door. Yo, just for clarification, Devoth. I did not say they got a room at yep. the mermaid's bucket. I said they left, and I assume they went to the nearest room for sale. Uh, oh. There might not even be bedrooms above there. But yeah, was like, that might just be a bar. It yeah, might not okay. be an inn. <laughs> just like you run upstairs, you're kicking in doors, and it's just storage, right? <laughs> Kegs of beer. Yeah. Here's what we're going to do to end this madness. <laughs> highs, highs or lows, Scram? Uh, highs. 48. Oh, oh fuck you. Close. <laughs> oh, oh, fuck. Whatever bedraggled hijinks you get yourself into, finding Devoth isn't included. But you're otherwise, I guess, leaving a like a, a dust cloud trail through Port Peril <laughs> as you check every hostel and inn you can for Devoth. But you never find him. But yeah, so Devoth and Grok enjoy their evening together. Scram eventually makes it back to the Maskador, defeated, but not at all embarrassed or or aware of his complete lack of dignity. Social ability. <laughs> that too. This is bigger than that. I could care less about these people, what they think of me. You eventually return to the Mascador, and you're exhausted. With the size of this city, 
There's no way you could search everywhere. It's like finding a needle in a haystack. All Maybe right. if you were a bit better at gathering information, you might be able to track them down like detective style, but I mean, maybe you even tried that, but you're just not nuanced enough to to do it. So you 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 return defeated. As a last ditch effort, I write a note onto Devault's door. Like I like I get like a piece of parchment and I just write out wake me up as soon as you get back. Okay. <laughs> Signed Defeated Scram. <laughs> Do you sign it? <laughs> so you go to sleep and you need to make a will save. Fuck. Nine. You have a dream. You're trapped in a hollow metal tube. There's barely enough light to see and even less room to move. The sound echoes up and down the tube. You lose track of how long you're left trapped there, listening to the tapping noise. But the sound suddenly speeds up and transitions into a knocking. You hear your mother's voice, muffled from the other side of the metal. Scram? Where have you been? Come home! You push on the metal tube, and it swings open like a door. You're on one of the piers in Hell Harbor, where you grew up. It's the middle of the night, so the lighting isn't much better, save for the occasional lit torch along the pier. Scram, where have you been? You turn around at the sound of your mother's voice, but you don't see her. Instead, you see a tiny, cat-sized dragon perched on the wooden piling of the pier, with dark maroon scales and wings like a butterfly. It speaks again, and your mother's voice says, you finally come home. Come with me. Your brother's waiting for you. He wants to tell you how sorry he is. She takes off and soars toward the boardwalk, and your consciousness seems to leave your body behind to follow, and all you can see is the fairy dragon, blurred detail zooming past her as she speeds through the air. Ha ha ha! Yes! Scram is home! As she zooms through the air, you're filled with incredible joy. If you were still in your body, you'd be prancing with merriment. Suddenly, a gnarled hand reaches up into your view, its nails a deep blood red, filed out to points. It grabs the fairy dragon in such a tight grip, you'd expect to hear its ribs cracking. Instead, you hear... The joy you felt but a moment ago is replaced with hollowness and fear. You hear your mother's voice, but it's muffled again, even more than before. Ah! No! It hurts! Please make it stop! You're suddenly back in your body, standing on the boardwalk, the harbor at your back. Though you can't move anymore, you can see the full scene. The fairy dragon in the crushing grasp of Mater the satyr. Though Mater's hand no longer has blood-red pointed nails. On his head, Mater is wearing an almost comically tall hat. Picture the cat in the hat's hat, but it has dark, faded, vertical stripes of red, magenta, turquoise, purple, and blue. While your mother's muted voice continues to wail and plea, Mater turns his head to look at you and smiles. You don't belong here, Scram. They need you on that there mascador, firing them big fancy crossbows. Mater then lifts the fairy dragon over his head, dangling it like a bunch of grapes. Instead of lowering it into his mouth, though, a horizontal tear rips open in the tall hat, forming a sinister, fanged mouth. Again, your consciousness leaps out of your body and sidles up next to the fairy dragon, whose body is crushed and broken now. As you and the dragon are lowered into the mouth of Mater's hat, it grows dark again. Your mother's voice is gone. So is the fairy dragon. You're alone again, back inside this constricting metal tube. As everything sinks into darkness, you hear it again. As well as a new voice. 
one you've never heard before. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow, Scram and Nacra. But will you see me? And you wake up. Oh, fuck. Uh, so here's what happens. You take six points of damage. Holy fuck. <laughs> really? <laughs> are, you, are you down? And you're fatigued. That'll last until you get an eight-hour rest. Speaking of eight-hour rests, you didn't get one, <laughs> and you were unable to regain arcane spells. I didn't expend any. But it means you don't get to prepare new ones. You're just stuck with what you got. Oh, so it's the God. next day. And I imagine around this time, Cheryl finally makes his way back to the Mascador. So he wasn't kidnapped. Hooray! Hooray for Cheryl! I'm back! <laughs> After just a slight kidnapping detour. <laughs> Happens to everybody. It's just some minor kidnapping. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I approached the Mascador and uh, like nothing happened, really. I mean, I did some investigating on the Masked Brotherhood. It took a bit of a turn, but now I'm here and I don't really want to just broadcast to everyone what happened necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so well, I'll just kind of keep that to myself and maybe maybe make better decisions in the future. Okay. But for now, I'm just, you know, trying to get to, you know, just my stuff on the boat and trying to ease back into the, the non-kidnap life, I suppose. That, that's my agenda. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> okay. Well, hey, Tuck Tuck, you see Cheryl approaching the Mascador. Hey, Cheryl, come here. So, oh, hello, hello. And I walk right over. Andrew? What? <laughs> <laughs> you, you were just saying hi, that's it? Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll walk up. <laughs> oh, Cheryl, you're back. Um, what were we supposed to tell you? The Voth said, "Be ready for a mission tomorrow, today." That's so. Be ready now. We have a mission. A mission. Praise for asthma. I'll get my stuff. Well, okay, but also, has anyone seen the captain? The Voth, you probably, you know, come back relatively early. You do know that you have a mission. This morning, you were, you were supposed to meet Captain Cork. Yeah, all right. And the Wormwood's probably shoving off early so they don't get hit with another week of, week of docking fees. Yeah, as I imagine Grok would have to get back and, you know, when she left, I have to go back. I went, ah, fine, I'll go back to my own ship. When we part ways, I do make her aware that that's a standing offer. Like, if she ever wants to join the Mascador, she's, she's welcome anytime. Okay. As I walk back, do I see, like, the hood and Tuck Tuck just talking to Cheryl on deck? You, you see a frantic note scribbled on your door <laughs> that looks like it was written by a maniac. <laughs> it's like if you if you ever took like a like a marker and you like held it in your fist like with the point down and you just like you're like making the letter M and like that first vertical bit you go like up and down like eight times for that one thing. It's like that for every single letter. <laughs> Devoth, wake me up when you get home. He didn't scram. He didn't even write a note. He just took a dagger and carved it into the door. <laughs> There's a few people just fell from exhaustion last night, not knocking on your doors. So there's like a small semicircle surrounding the captain's cabin. I woke up on deck like, I leave for one night and this shit turns to chaos? What is going on on my ship? Captain, you're back! Jack Scrimshaw says. I don't even remember what we needed you for, but Scram was losing his mind. Uh, what else is new? 
Jack runs into the officer's quarters to get Scram. Scram, the door gets kicked down. Jack Scrimshaw is like, Scram! The boss is back! What uh, the fuck did we need him for? There's so Scr- much to process yeah, right Scram now. Probably, probably completely forgot about last night in the wake of that nightmare. Dude, Hood uh, is like seriously starting to question whether or not the, you guys are just surviving off tales that aren't really true. <laughs> oh my god. Wormwood! And uh, Scram kind of rolls out of bed a lot more tired than what he would think he would have been. Yeah. Like, kind of a, a little bit more sluggish. Does Jack Scrimshaw react when Scram goes, huh, what? Oh, Wormwood. Yeah, he's, he's kind of like, like, like shoulders, like slouched, and he's like, his head is tilted, like mouth agape, and he's like, what? You thought you, it was like the end of the world. You looking for Devoth? What do you mean? You already forgot? I just said we're. I don't have time for this. I'm run out. Like I, I shove him out of the way, and I'm like hustling to Devoth. Okay. Uh, while this is going on, I assume I are like Tuck Tuck and Cheryl, and them like still on deck. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I get. Right. I'm ready for a mission. Okay. So yeah, like I see you guys sitting there, and like, oh, good, you're all ready to go, as you commanded. <laughs> Including Cheryl, who just got there. <laughs> yeah. Graham runs up to the vault. Wormwood! In port! Peril! Just... Uh, just so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's the most scram thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> Peppery! At the library! Uh, Barnabas isn't happy. When have I ever cared whether Barnabas Harrigan is happy? The Wormwood is leaving Port Peril today. In fact, they're probably already left. Wait, you knew? Yeah. <laughs> you think you're the only one with any means of gathering information? Dads know everything, Scram. <laughs> Scram's exhaustion. I'm ex- not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> Scram's exhaustion just kicks in and just, like, kind of collapses and just, like, kind of... <sighs> okay. Well, more news. And I go over every aspect of the Incutilis. And then I go over every aspect of my dream with the tapping that I've been referring to over the past couple days. I, I don't know. There's just so much going on. It's maddening. I, I didn't sleep last night. Well, sleep or no, we've got something to do. So get your stuff and let's go. You've been hearing this tapping down. You had a bad dream. Okay, we've got work to do. Yeah, that's that's <sighs> DeVos playing that off. Like he doesn't care. Meanwhile, Scrim's kind of like having a complete overload, like meltdown in his head. Like, I mean, it was only a matter of time. You put like a twelve-year-old boy with a bunch of pirates. Like, <laughs> right? 12, you can't give him that magic. <laughs> so, do you go get your stuff, or you just stand there mouth again? I, I both. I mean, I don't really have much to bring along here. I grab my rod of silence, and there we go. All right, so you all get your stuff, and you book a ferry over to the mainland uh, as you dock on the eastern end of the lagoon uh, the west side of the peninsula uh, also known as merchant marina you can see countless dock hands offloading merchants cargo fabric lumber spices wine and more the aroma of salted meats drifts on a westerly breeze a squat manor sits on the bluff of the northern end of the peninsula the most striking of a number of lavish stone manors lining the top of the southerly bluff, known as High Eastwind. Farther south, near the base of the peninsula, sits an even grander manor, second only to Fort Hazard. 
Filling in the rest of the peninsula are smaller wooden houses, tin shanties, and smaller structures, with the occasional larger wooden shop, brothel, or other commercial building. Even farther south still, just barely visible over the sea of shanty houses, rises arching fingers of petrified wood that seem to form a ship's hull nearly 200 feet long, splayed out before a large temple. As you're taking in the sights, Captain Cork comes over to you and he says, Well, good morning, Mascador crew. Who's this guy? Oh, uh, Captain Cork. Your captain and I met yesterday, and he sportingly agreed to come along on a little mission. Yes, we're uh, we're hunting some some creatures that yeah that Scram and I have had to deal with in the past. They uh, you had me at hunting. Good man, but uh, yeah, we have to go down into the uh, knotworks. They are uh, a squid creature that's takes over a host and turns it almost into a zombie-like creature. The real target is the squid on the head. If that gets away, we've got to start all over. So be prepared. You take a path south along Merchant Marina, and you go farther inland, and you're passing Shanty House, Shanty House, Brothel, Shop, Shanty House, and you eventually come to a, an, a cave opening, and that leads you down to the Knotworks. All the descriptive text I gave Devoth in that uh, mind link spell, copy paste. <laughs> it's nice and cool. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of tunnels. Captain Cork's leading the way. He eventually turns off into a unlit tunnel, and he turns back and he says, "Everybody present should keep track of where we're going. I know the general gist of how to get to where we're going." But if something happens to me, or even if I forget these instructions, you're going to want to remember how to get back here. Because if you get lost in the knotworks, you might never get found. Also, before we left the ship, I would have grabbed that uh, that helm of underwater action. Oh, okay. Just figure we're coming down here, it might come in handy. All right, so what sort of light sources are you guys using? Captain Cork doesn't need one. Or Cheryl, don't you have a, a light spell? I have dancing lights. Does that help us? Scram, do you have light or anything? Nope. Okay. So yeah, Devoth would in, instruct Cheryl to just keep the dancing lights going as we travel. I do. All right, so you guys are traveling through the Knotworks for a long time. Uh, every once in a while you hear like a spooky clunk or like a shift in the in the rubble behind you, but you don't run into anything hostile. It might be like a... Like a shrew or some, like a like a vole, some nocturnal underground creature every once in a while. But eventually, after a couple hours of walking along the knotworks, uh, a wide opening in the tunnel wall quickly slopes down about 20 feet before leveling out. You can see dark water gently sloshing to and fro at the bottom, its depths unknown. The tunnel continues beyond the range of your vision. Captain Cork adjusts his belt and begins descending down the slope. You can see that, standing at the bottom, the water only comes up to Cork's waist. Once at the bottom, he turns around, he he leans back, and he shouts, A little slippery, but it's an easy climb. All right, down we go. Can anyone fail a DC-5 climb check? No. Nope. All right, so you all climb down pretty easily. Uh, once at the bottom, uh, you see Captain Cork has moved over to one of the walls. He's looking closely at what looks like a spiny ball stuck to the rock. He says, careful, there's urchins all over the place. Give me a knowledge arcana or nature check. 20. 20. 22. Jeez. 18. 
I'm flexing over here on their, their knowledge checks. I only needed a 10. <laughs> Chill out. Uh, these are black spot sea urchins. Unlike most urchins, their spines don't deliver a poison, but they instead leave a curse that cripples the victim's ability to swim and removes their ability to hold their breath. They aren't aggressive, but brushing up against one is a sure way to provoke them. After your eyes adjust to spotting these two-foot balls of spines, you realize that in addition to clinging to the walls, you can also spot some hanging from the ceiling and even resting below the water's surface. On average, there's about 10 feet of space between any two urchins, give or take. Navigating around them, while not overly difficult, will require constant awareness. Captain Cork also knows what these things are. He says, let's proceed carefully, shall we? Good idea. I kind of give Scram a nudge with my elbow. Hey, armor up. <laughs> that, wah, 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 wah. that laugh came from Captain Cork, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> After about 30 minutes of trudging through the waters of the blood pools, uh, you notice a sharp change in the rock walls. Where they were once relatively bare and unremarkable, save for the countless urchins clinging to them, they suddenly have shallow grooves set into them like fingers through soft clay. Most of the grooves are higher up on the walls, just out of arm's reach, but some are lower, and anyone who bothers to feel them can see how smooth the rock wall is within the grooves. You guys can give me a knowledge nature, local, or dungeoneering check. Nature has an easier DC. 12. 5 for Devoth. 21 for Tuk Tuk. I got a 13. Tuk Tuk, you've heard about the vicious underground cousins of ogres called Bougains. They're known to very clearly mark their territory, carving grooves into the stone walls of the tunnels they live in. You know that they have that uh, with muscular, spiked, hunched backs and heads and faces that look more like those of a hairless rat with tusks. These brutish creatures are all but blind, though they navigate the dark tunnels quite well with their tremor sense. I convey that to the group. Hearing that, Devoth is going to actually take Chip off his back and just be kind of at the ready. He can use it to like poke some urchins out of the way or just generally clear stuff but he wants to be at the ready in case something comes at him if we're if we're at the point of the tunnel where we're in like full hunt mode hood might actually be up front stealth okay everyone give me a perception check wait, wait, wait. i'm i'm gonna really give you a stealth check first oh okay 31 okay oh, oh i rolled a 27 uh mine's a i got a 14 perception Oof. i got a 26 eight Tuck Tuck with a 37. Scram, the hood, and Tuck Tuck can suddenly hear the very quiet sound of something uh, stealthing through the water from behind you. I'm going to cast Aspect of the Bear on myself. Tuck Tuck, tell me about that spell. Yeah, it gives me a plus two enhancement bonus to my natural armor and a plus two to my CMB rolls for one minute per level. Awesome. This is going to be part of the surprise round, uh, actually. So everybody but Cheryl and Devoth are part of it. Oh. Tuck, tuck. The way surprise rounds work, like you cast that spell because you pass your perception check, this is what you would use your turn in the surprise round casting. Yeah. So everybody roll initiative. Scram. 17. Devoth. 16. Cheryl. 21. Tuck, tuck. 21. What's your initiative modifier? Four. Cheryl. Plus five, I win. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Get wrecked, nerd. Yeah, I got- That's a 17. I still win. <laughs> <laughs> he beats me. Okay. 
Yeah, you're still tied with Scram, though. All right, so Scram, Tuck Tuck in the Hood. Uh, in addition to turning around and seeing this hideous, like, rat-faced, naked rat man seen up behind you, you also see ahead of you an identical-looking creature, and you see that creature just in time to see it, like, melting out of the wall. Uh, and it is the Bougain's turn. The Bougain's are going to close the distance. Tuck, tuck. You get a standard or a move action. You're casting Aspect of the Bear. Yeah, I'm going to just bear it up. Okay. The Hood. I guess I don't get sneak attack damage on him then? No, he's already acted. You could just five foot step back, Nick. Uh, and take a shot. Sure, let's do that. Uh, That's a 19 to hit. That don't hit. Scram. Scram throws uh, spontaneous immolation at the one behind us. Okay. So this thing's got to make a reflex save. 12. He does not make it. <laughs> okay. And that does 3d6 and then it gets set on fire, right? Well, it's like a fort save on continuous turns to like put it out, I think. The initial the initial save is actually fortitude. But then Right. And then it's a deck save on subsequent turns to put it out. Yeah, so it's fortitude save would have been 15. Still does not make it. Okay. 13 fire damage. Okay. Okay, so the red Bougain is on fire. Captain Cork, uh, he did make his perception check. So he's going to five foot step forward, and he's going to uh, he's gonna draw his two axes. And he takes a standard action. And even though he's got two axes that are, you know, each by themselves smaller than Devoth's chip, the one in his main hand is still a pretty hefty looking axe. Just looking at it, you're pretty sure you'd have to wield it with two hands if you were to try to wield it. Uh, otherwise, it'd be pretty cumbersome. But he's swinging it around, no problem. He's going to hit. He's got a 10-foot reach. Ah, shit. Nope. Instead of any of that cool stuff, Captain Cork is going to use his turn in the surprise round to close the distance between him and the Bougain, and in doing so, provoke from the blue Bougain, who's going to reach out with a claw. That's a natural one. Roll to confirm. Yes. Reach out. It's a 19, and that confirms. <gasps> with a natural attack. This Bougain has a hangnail. Aww. <laughs> If this was a claw attack, slam, or unarmed strike, you cannot use that attack for 1d6 rounds. Holy shit, that is huge. <laughs> five rounds. Oh. oh my god. So Big Blue can't use his claw for five rounds. Yeah. Speaking of Bougains, it is now their turn. So Bougains going to just continue swiping. He's going to use only one claw, but then he's going to come in with a gore. Okay, the claw misses, but that gore hits. So the the one that's on fire will then uh, attack Cheryl. Yeah, he could try. Two claws and a gore. So that's an 18. Nope. A 23. Yep, he got me with that one. And a 20. He got me with that one too. Uh, all right, so claw and a gore. We're going to min roll on the claw for nine damage. Nine damage. And a min roll on the gore for nine damage. So, Cheryl, you, you take two glancing blows from this thing, and you still take 18 damage. And it's now your turn. So the guy that hit me, I'm going to hit him right back. Okay, you're going to have to take a five-foot step to get in close. Yeah, that kind of sucks, huh? That i got to like move into him to yeah. attack him? Yeah, a little bit. 
That's yeah. the fun thing about Reach. <laughs> it's like, hey, my turn. Hold on. Stay there. I'm going to come <laughs> into you a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm going to yell, uh, Verasma, give me strength. It is in your name I fight. And then I'll go. I'll step up to him. I'll fucking dagger him right in the belly. Okay. Why are you fighting? daggering him? Yeah. Um, are we, there's some water maybe? We're not underwater. Yeah, I, I'm gonna stick with the dagger. Right. I, I feel, I feel, got a good feeling about it. Just this. saying, we spent an entire underwater dungeon of you using the book, and now you decide to use the dagger? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do I hit him with a 13? No. Alright, Tuck Tuck. <laughs> Alright, so I have, I have a quick question. Sure. How high up is the ceiling? It is 20 feet. Alright. I'm gonna point my attention at the the red one in the back who's getting pummeled, who's on fire, and I'm gonna go ahead and I'm just gonna launch him in the air with an air geyser. All right, oh, my favorite spell. <laughs> yeah. All right, so he has to make a DC 19 reflex save. I'll just watch him. Twelve. Uh, he takes five bludgeoning damage. Okay. Uh, and then he's also launched in the air, uh, a number of feet equal to five times my caster level. Taking damage if he strikes an object as though he fell that amount. He then afterwards falls that amount. Okay, so why don't you roll 2d6 for hitting the ceiling, and then uh, he'll get an acrobatics check to land nimbly. Let me just, let me see how acrobatic these guys are. Hold on real quick. Where are those uh, urchins, by the way? Out of combat, uh, you don't need to make any rolls to avoid them. When you're in combat, you need to make an acrobatics check every time you move. And involuntary movement, you have to make the check at a minus four penalty. Like getting launched in the air? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I asked. There you go. How about that? Good ice, uh, Graham. <laughs> he fails his acrobatics check, too. Yeah, uh, he does. Well, in my head, that was the one for falling, but let's just see for the other one. Uh, he fails both of them. So I rolled another 2d6. Yes. So your total is 19 damage, and he's prone. Friggin' sweet. Does that like, include the initial blast of air? Yes, it does. Okay. And then the urchin curses him. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just see. <laughs> Failing that check provokes an attack of opportunity from an urchin. And if it hits, you then need to save versus the curse. And the urchin failed to penetrate the Ugain's natural armor. All right, Hood. I am going to study target. Okay. I'm going to deadly aim. Okay. And I am going to take a full round with my rapid shot. Okay. 27 to hit on the first attack. That hits. And that's my multi-shot, so I have to roll another okay. damage for it. Okay. So that was altogether 29 damage on the first attack. <laughs> what? <Damn. laughs> that was your uh, That was your only attack, right? Uh, next attack was a 25 to hit. Yeah, that hits. That's another 14 damage. Okay. The last one was an 18 to hit. Sit down with that shit. All right. That was a very good volley. Uh, Scram, you're up. So this thing needs to make a reflex save. Yep. He's on a roll so far with with all those dex-based rolls he's got to make. 17. Matches, I believe. All right. Well, he is prone in the water, so that kind of makes sense. He kind of like rolls around a little bit, puts the fire out, back full of spines. I'm going to cast Moment of Greatness. I feel like everything's going pretty well right now, so 
I'm going to cast Moment of Greatness, make sure everybody's, like, beefed up. All right. Devoth, you're up. All right. I enact Rage as a move action, my Inspired Rage. Okay. And uh, just I'm going to step in front of Hood and kind of leave Captain Cork between the the thing and myself so that next round I can five-foot step in. Okay. So I'm avoiding the attack of opportunity now so I can step in next time. All right. Cork's turn. Uh, he sees you coming, and he's going to five-foot step down, kind of like playing like the long game in Try flanking this thing. setting up a flank, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then he's going to full attack, which will be four attacks. Awesome. Ooh, I love when we make Axel roll attacks against himself. <laughs> yeah, the taste of his little medicine. It's fun for everybody. <laughs> That's a miss. And a miss. Could you give me numbers on that? Huh? Like his, just what, whatever he rolls to hit, because I could always... Oh, gallant inspiration! Give him a, give him a boost. Okay, actually, I forgot about your inspired rage. What is that giving him bonus for? So one of those war axes did hit, and then that's a twenty-two hits, and then that's a natural one with a twenty-one to confirm, and that does confirm. Okay, so do the damage, and then we'll give him a, a crit fail. First of those. Dwarven War Axe deals 16 damage, and then the Maul Axe, and the Maul Axe, that'll deal 11 damage. And Matt, you can wipe that smirk off your face because the Bougain dies, and he never <laughs> needs to make that last attack roll. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so he comes in like, slash, 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 and the fir- uh, first axe swing is a miss, and then he connects twice as the Bougain's going down. Captain Cork kind of like... Like, slips a little bit. He's like, whoa. And he, like, comes, like, this close to uh, brushing up against an urchin. Then he writes himself. Whew. Damn. Bougain's turn. He's going to full attack on Cheryl. He'll stand up first. That's a move action, and it provokes from Cheryl. Stab him, Cheryl. Provoke, you say? With quick thinking, cast on my feet, I yell about Phrasma some more and stab him. Okay. (laughs) Ha-ha, 26. That'll hit. Ha-ha, six damage. So now it's going to swipe its claw at Cheryl. 26. Yeah, that hits. Okay. That's not min damage. You take 15 points of damage. Dude, what is wrong with you? Yeesh. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Jesus Christ. And it is now Cheryl's turn. I don't really want to stand here and get pummeled by this guy, but they killed the other one, right? So help should be on the way. I'm sure it'll be here soon. (laughs) In theory. <laughs> and just when you thought I wasn't sure what to do, I dagger him. I you Boom. You God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Six damage, bitch. I definitely hit him because there was only one less. All right. Awesome. Tuck, tuck. I'm going to quick draw my wand of stone discus and I'm going to launch a disc at this nerd. Oh, the shit. Red one. So it is a 28 to hit. Oh, yeah, that hits. He takes 19. Uh, I chose slashing, by the way. Wow. 19 wow. slashing damage as a giant stone disc launches out and drills him. That's why I travel with him. Yeah, uh, that drops that Mugain. Yes. Oh, nice. Yes, I stone him. <laughs> way to go. He's stoned as fuck, yo. The, it, was a, it was a quick battle and nobody got hurt. Yeah. Well, not nobody. <laughs> Meanwhile... Fucking bleeding from everywhere. <laughs> yeah, how much health do you have? I have 21. I gotta start healing myself here. 
I'm gonna toss myself some heals. Tight. Look at me go. Back to full. Almost full. Okay, so you uh, you continue on your way. After another half hour of trudging through these blood pools, the cave opens up, and you're met with a pretty neat sight. The cave kind of opens up into this like huge room, and half of that room opens out into the coast. Like the cave has met the coastline, so you're in this like giant crevice. Basically, we've been walking long enough that we're not even in the city anymore. Like we're not oh, even yeah. we're not even under the city anymore. We're like out in the wilderness. You've been you've been in these caves for three hours now. Yeah. If Cork's directions are correct, you guys are you guys are on the coast, like a little to the east of Port Peril. The ceiling has opened up a little bit; it's about forty feet tall. There's stalagmites uh, dotting the the floor. They're about fifteen feet tall. The slope has gone up slightly, so. It's low tide, so the the water level is actually non-existent right now. The water in the blood pools would be from water getting in at high tide. You can tell because the uh, while there's not water at your feet right now, the rocks are still very slippery, and there's like all the like they're kind of like these like hairline fracture crevices in the floor, just kind of like spidering out all over the place, like spider webbing out all over the place. So, yeah, it's just like this big 40-foot-tall room that just, like, ends with the ocean. It's a it's a pretty powerful view. So you're walking, you're walking. You're walking around this giant, like, kind of amphitheater, and you catch a glimpse once or twice of movement coming from, like, just, like, darting behind a stalagmite. That's when you hear several voices. Sounds like laughter. But it's, like, this very strange rustling laughter almost like uh like a like a breeze through through trees coalescing into the sound of laughter and then you uh you see a a thick puff of smoke appear from behind a stalagmite and out from behind it walks this humanoid looking creature it's a bit rotund in the middle but its head is a mushroom cap and like part of the mushroom cap kind of like splits open and that's where its mouth is and it has a lit cigarette in in its mouth it says we're used to getting already dead corpses it'll be a treat to infest and eat you while you're still alive and out from the other stalagmites come three other of these creatures and we'll see you next week Uh-oh. okay see ya see ya see ya see ya just such good RPing. (laughs) So good.